welcome to the Independent School Podcast with me, Juliet Corbett. This is the place where we get curious about leadership and strategy in schools. We talk about how strategy can help you deliver multiple goals, juggle various stakeholders, and most importantly, how thinking and acting strategically can help you get more done and feel less exhausted at the end of each day. And this time we're diving into the topic of building fundraising confidence. Now, fundraising is a really important element of being strategic to deliver those multiple goals that I often talk about. Because when you're fundraising, you're able to diversify your income streams as a school. But assuming that you're focusing on projects like bursaries, school partnerships, things with a social impact, you're simultaneously building that financial resilience and delivering a social impact to your community as well. So fundraising is a key part of what we talk about on this podcast. Now, this time we're talking about fundraising confidence. I'm going to be talking you through four mindsets that might be holding you back. And if you can shift these mindsets, then you're going to be building your fundraising confidence. Now, various different people listen to this podcast from different experience. Some of you will be very experienced with fundraising, and that's fantastic. Some of the later mindsets that I talk about are absolutely relevant to you. But it's absolutely fine if you have no experience of fundraising. Maybe you're moving into a leadership role and you're going to be needing to take this on fundraising activities for the first time. And it feels a little bit different to teaching in a classroom and you're feeling a little bit underprepared, underconfident. In that case, the first couple of mindsets that I'm going to be talking about are the ones probably that are most relevant to you. Okay, let's dive into number one. This mindset I see often from heads and senior leaders who aren't familiar with fundraising. And it's basically captured by people saying to themselves, I don't like asking people for money. When people are feeling this way, it's because they're framing fundraising as asking people for money, which almost equates in people's minds to, to begging, sort of, in the strongest possible sense. It's the idea that I'm asking for something financial, but I've got nothing to give them in return. They're just going to be giving me money and I can't give them anything. In actual fact, there's a completely different way to frame fundraising and fundraisers will know this well. You're not actually asking people for money and you're certainly not begging for money. What you are doing is offering people an opportunity to do great things with their philanthropic donations this mindset of thinking I don't like asking for money is also sometimes wrapped up in people feeling I'm not a natural fundraiser. This isn't something that comes naturally. I don't feel comfortable. Therefore, I shouldn't do it. We are, in our sector, we're educators. We believe in a growth mindset. As such, it won't be much of a surprise for me to remind you, nobody is a natural fundraiser. No one is born capable automatically of being a really best practice, really effective, inspirational fundraiser. It's something that we learn. I certainly learned it. I wasn't able to do this automatically. I figured it out both based on listening to others, talk about best practice and what worked for them, and figuring out for myself what worked for me, what my fundraising style was. Everyone can ask. Everyone can be a fundraiser. The key, I think, is to really understanding that you're giving people that opportunity to do great things with their philanthropic donations and really believe that that is true. 
to also find your personal connection to the project. This was actually what was really important for me was understanding why I cared, why the transformation that we were trying to fundraise for, which whichever project it was, was something that I really cared about. Now, sometimes that connection was really obvious and I was able to get there without a lot of thought. Other times I've been fundraising for projects that initially I'm kind of thinking, meh, not really something I care about that deeply. But when I seek that personal connection and try to find it, whenever I've been able to find it, and actually every time, if you look hard enough, you can find that personal connection every single time. That's what will make it easier. The other thing that makes it easier is practice. (laughs) It's obvious when you hear someone else say it, but you're not going to become great at something until you practice. So find small things to practice on and then build up to the big asks. And also, I think the other thing that's really important for people to understand is that fundraising is a team activity. It's not a solo activity or it shouldn't be within schools. And so whatever your role is, unless you are a director of development, sort of a head of fundraising, actually, you don't have to be the one that actually asks. It absolutely is fine to be a head of a school or a senior leader within a school and do all of the other talking to the prospects, getting them excited, talking about the vision, explaining your personal connection, why you're really excited, explaining why you've given. That's actually really important. You have to give in order to ask others. Actually, someone else, the director of development, can actually do the ask if that's what you want them to do. That's absolutely fine. You're working as a team in a school. So that's the first mindset that I'm inviting you to shift is I don't want you to feel like asking people for money is uncomfortable. The second mindset, and this is actually where people often go next, this is almost sequential in terms of a journey through these mindsets, is a feeling that anyone will give us money if we just write them a letter. Now, this is something I often hear from governors, to be honest, sometimes heads and senior leaders, certainly non-fundraising professionals. This is the idea that we can just write a letter about you know, the fact we're fundraising for books for our library or, or whatever it might be, and people will come forward and be incredibly generous. Now, people will be incredibly generous, but it's very unlikely they didn't do that in response to a letter or even an email if there isn't a strong culture of philanthropy, there isn't a warmth towards the project within your community. The Big gifts come from one-to-one conversations and cultivation. And quite often, but not always, but quite often, if people are saying, well, we just need to write a letter, I would say probably it's because that feels more comfortable. It feels more comfortable to write a letter and send it than it does to have face-to-face conversations. And I'm going to refer you back to listen again to the mindset number one. It's actually possibly people feeling uncomfortable about asking for money. That means they're defaulting to a written format of asking. But generally speaking, and I think I've seen this universally, if your community is is cold, as it were, to the idea of fundraising, you haven't spent a number of years developing a culture of philanthropy, then a letter or an email to that community is not going to be very successful. In fact, it is likely to be very unsuccessful and you will probably have a deafening silence as a result of your letter, which obviously doesn't build confidence in the idea of fundraising within your community. So I'm going to move on to mindset number three, which connects to this. Sometimes people jump straight from 
starting to feel more comfortable about asking people for money to the idea that people won't give us money. We are different from other schools. Now, what's really interesting here is that the benchmarking data from IDP actually shows that all types of schools can be successful at fundraising. Admittedly, at different levels in terms of the total fundraising income and at different ROI, so return on investment, is different in different schools. So there are differences between schools, but every school community can fundraise. That's what the benchmarking tells us. And that's what my professional experience has shown as well. Now, when people say people won't give us money because we're different, our community is different, the first thing to check is, is that because you don't feel comfortable about asking people for money and this is an excuse? Possibly. Is it because you've tried writing a letter or an email and no one gave and therefore you've concluded people won't give us money because our school community is different? It's possible. It could be something completely different. It could be that you and the people around you in your school have a scarcity mindset around money. So the idea of yourselves giving substantial money doesn't come doesn't come easily, doesn't feel natural. That would then be exacerbated potentially by the fact you don't know of other people who do give really generously. And so you conclude that your community is different from everybody else's and therefore people won't give us money. Now, there are four things that you can do, I think, to overcome this. There are many, many others, but four things I'd recommend in this brief time we have together on the podcast. Firstly, focus on your transformational vision. If you're communicating a transactional element to the community around fundraising, they probably won't give you money, to be honest. If you're communicating a transformational vision that you can only complete if they join you, because remember I said you're giving already, if they join you in giving a donation to this particular project, that's where you start to see people understanding that there is a a potential for fundraising within their community. So focus on the transformational vision. Secondly, I really encourage people to think big. Admittedly, you might start small. (laughs) So the actual asks you're making or the projects that you're undertaking may well need to start small if you're starting from a cold community. That's probably a good idea not to actually go big too fast. But don't constrain your thinking just because your actions are strategic trial and error to figure out what your community is interested in. Don't constrain that big transformational vision, even if you know you're going to take many small steps to get there. The third tip I would give is talk to people in your community. This is not a one-way comms plan. This is a two-way conversation. You need to inspire them with that transformational vision, listen to what they say back, and then adjust your plans over time. By having that two-way conversation, you're able to inspire, listen, adjust on a continual cycle. And that's when you tend to find that people step up and start to give money. And then fourthly, focus on major gifts. Now, this may feel counterintuitive because... It's a bit uncomfortable asking someone for a big donation if you're new to fundraising. But actually, I think this is the best way into fundraising because you can sit down with somebody and have a two-way conversation. You get a chance to adjust your messaging, you know, adjust what you're saying about your vision 
in real time with somebody sitting in front of you where you can see the whites of their eyes, you can see how they respond and adjust on the fly. And that doesn't take immense fundraising experience. That takes being a human. (laughs) That takes active listening, understanding with emotional intelligence and cultural intelligence sometimes as well, what it is that somebody's responding to that's sitting across a table or on on a sofa facing you across a, a coffee table. That's the sort of fundraising that actually is easier. If you're trying to jump straight into a lot of regular giving comms, a lot of email comms, social media comms, you know, a giving day, those things are fantastic. But if you're really nervous about all of this, it's much better just to talk to somebody about giving a gift that is one of the biggest gifts that you've asked for. It doesn't have to be, you know, with lots and lots and lots of zeros at the end, but it's a big gift to you. That's where I invite you to start. I think what you're going to find is that if you follow those four tips, you're going to find that it overcomes that mindset of people won't give us money and that we're different to realise that if we do it our way, because we are different, we have to do it our way, that's right for our community, then people will give us money. The fourth mindset builds on the previous three. And normally what I see is that this this affects people who are in the groove of major gifts fundraising. They understand they're going to focus on major gifts. They understand they need a a vision and that they need to practice to get the, the confidence built up over time. But it's a little bit of a trap that people fall into at that stage. And that mindset is, I'm going to focus on one person at a time. And it feels sort of instinctively like this might be a good idea like if I'm practicing let me practice on one person at a time I'm going to be able to put all of my efforts into really crafting this beautiful cultivation process this inspirational journey that I'm going to take this one person on or it could be one family or one couple and that that's the best use of my time in actual fact it really isn't the best way to go and even experienced fundraisers sometimes fall back into this trap. It's much, much better actually to be building relationships with lots of people. Not hundreds of people, but let's say 20 people. The reason for that is because it de-risks any one conversation. It takes the pressure off any one person. And it takes the pressure off the donor because no donor wants to feel like all of your school's eggs are in this basket. And if you say no, the pressure's really on and that it's going to be some kind of hard sell experience. That's not pleasant. No fundraiser wants to be in a situation where they've only got one prospect on the books and everything, success or failure, hangs on the response of this one person. And even if they are willing to give, this may not be the right time for them to give. So by having conversations with lots of people, so kind of 20, 30 people on the go at a time in terms of these relationship building experiences, it reduces the risk, it reduces the nerves on the fundraiser's side. It also reduces procrastination for the fundraiser. Some people fall into this kind of trap, some people don't, but a sense of, I don't want to send that next email because the 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 stakes are high with this one. It reduces the procrastination if you know you've got multiple people in this process at any one time. And it also helps to build a rhythm. I often talk about 
major gift fundraising is being a proactive activity that you have to carve out time for each week. Whether you're ahead, whether you're a director of development, doesn't matter. You need to carve out time that is protected for this activity. And if you can get into a rhythm and you build some habits, you build some workflows, it means that while every relationship you're building is absolutely unique to that donor, some of the systems in place behind the scenes around your time management, around the the templates that you might use, the rhythm that you use to how you cultivate people, if you've got 20, 30 people going through this process simultaneously, you can create that rhythm and those habits. And it means that actually the experience is better for the individual uh, prospect because far from feeling like they're in a workflow, you've got the time to actually treat them as a unique human that you're just so curious to get to know better. So I invite you to think about those four mindsets. And if you can just do a double take as you're listening to this, which of those might apply to you? And just think about how you will be building confidence if you can shift the mindsets that are holding you back. So I want you to invite you to feel, number one, confident asking people to join me in delivering a vision that I care about. Number two, I want you to believe that we need to engage with people individually and not just write them letters or emails. Number three, I want you to believe that people will give us money if we inspire them and respond to their feedback. And then fourthly, I want you to feel that you're going to engage in lots of major gift conversations to spread the risk, reduce the nerves and build a sustainable fundraising programme. Now, I invite you to get in touch with your thoughts on these. Maybe there's a mindset or something that's holding you back that I haven't covered. Just let me know and I can cover that in a future episode. And then also I coach fundraising leaders and I love this work because it enables me to dive into the depth of experience that I've had as a fundraiser within schools and within higher education and to utilise all of the, the skills that I have around strategy as well and helping people to think and act more strategically. If that might be of interest to you, if you've never tried coaching before, it's something that you've had at the back of your mind that you might like to try, just reach out to me, let me know and we'll have a chat. No pressure, no expectation, just a conversation between you and me. I hope this has been helpful. Do share it with a friend or a colleague if you have found this helpful. And I look forward to talking to you again next time. Bye bye then. Bye.